Well, as Rosie said, uh, my name is Chris, and uh, if you don't know me, I'm part of the staff here at the church, and it's a real privilege to be speaking to you this morning. And um, we're going to be wrapping up today our series that we've been working through for the last couple of months, uh, He Is, and... Um, I don't know about you, but I've absolutely loved it. I just think it's been so good spending that amount of time just looking at Jesus. You know, as Christians, there's lots that we can learn in our lives, but sometimes the best thing we can do, I believe, is just to look at him and think, wow, isn't he fantastic? And uh, we've been so blessed by the number of different speakers that we've heard over the last couple of months. So if you have missed any of those, I highly recommend going to the website and uh, listening to those because it will do you a lot of good, I promise. Um, today, as I said, we're going to be finishing this all off and uh, just going to be looking at one more verse together. Um, and so the plan is, I'll read through the passage once more, which I know you've probably heard a number of times now, but A, it's just really good, so that's worth saying. And also, now that we've heard, if you've been around the talk so far, you'll also be able to remember some of the stuff and hopefully see the sort of thread that we've been weaving through the series as well. So I'll read that, and, uh, and then what I want to do is just try and explore what's going on in our verse, which is verse 20, and see what we can learn from that for today, but also for the future as well. So um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1, um, and we're going to start in verse 15. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, the words will be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along up there. So Colossians 1, verse 15, and we'll go up to verse 20. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that last verse is the one that we're going to look at today. Um, But before I get into that, I just want to give a very quick recap, just so we're all on the same page, if you have missed any of it. What we're reading at the moment in this book is actually a letter. Um, It was written by a chap called Paul, about 30 odd years or so after Jesus' life. And um, he's writing this letter to a church much like this one, I imagine, uh, in a city called Colossae, which is somewhere in modern-day Turkey, if you want to sort of put it on a map. And he writes this letter to this church to try and encourage them and convince them that they've been making some mistakes and they need to refocus on Jesus. Because they've been hearing some bad teaching and therefore have been, instead of just looking to Jesus they've been looking to the wrong things and other things to find protection and power and stuff like that. So Paul writes them a letter, and he's basically trying to say, no, stop it. You you don't need to look anywhere else for anything. You can find everything that you need in Jesus. He's all you'll need now. He's all you'll ever need. Let me prove it to you. And that, I suppose, is what the passage that we've been working through is doing. Basically saying, look, Jesus covers everything from the beginning of time right up until now into eternity. You're not going to need anything else apart from him. So that's what's going on. And the verse that we're looking at, as I said, is number 20, which is the one that says, and through him, it's talking about Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So today, 
we're going to look at what it means for Jesus to be the reconciler. And hopefully, we'll A, understand what that word means, see how it applies to us, and um, see why it's pretty great that that's what Jesus is. Um, when I got to this, I um, felt the conviction of God because I started looking at this word and I was like, I reckon this is one of those words in the English language that people use, myself included, without really knowing what it means. Um, I can think of many a conversation where I've been in, certainly in a church context, where I've used the word reconcile, but I've only gotten away with it, A, because I roughly know the thrust of what it's supposed to mean, or B, because I think I roughly know where it's supposed to sit in a sentence, <laughs> so I know the structure, right? And Maybe you're not the same. Maybe you all know what it means, but humor me so I don't feel like a fool. That's definitely my story. And um, I reckon people on the other side of the conversation have probably been similar as well, who have heard me say it and are like, oh, there's that word again. Not, I'm not really sure what it means, but I think he's used it in the right place. And I think I roughly kind of get the gist of what he's talking about. And the best thing I can do is just nod along and humor him and we'll move on, right? Um, well, today, you'll be delighted to hear, we're going to debunk the myth of what does it mean. And... Um, we're going to work out what does reconcile mean. And um, it's actually very simple. The word reconcile means the restoring of friendly relations. That's it. There's your climax. <laughs> very exciting. <laughs> That's it. It's just the restoration of friendly relationship. It's all about relationship. Now, I know that reconcile can be used in a financial context, but ain't nobody want to hear a talk about that for half an hour. So we're going to focus on relationships for today. <laughs> And uh, it, what it is, is it's the, you know, when a relationship, a friendship is broken and fractured, reconciliation is that relationship then being made whole again, being restored to what it once was. It's bringing mutual, loving harmony out of what was conflict and distance. That's what we're looking at. That's exactly what it means. And to ground it in a real-world example, um, imagine I have a friend. Hard to believe. Um, better yet, imagine you're my friend. What a world to live in. Um, imagine you're my friend, and uh, we come to church on Sunday, much like today, and we get chatting after the service. And I tell you, I'm like, oh, next week, I'm going to go see the greatest football team in England play football. And you're like, oh, wow. You're going to go see Nottingham Forest? I'm like, what? No. Going to go see Newcastle United FC. <laughs> Duh. And they're like, hey. <laughs> None of that. And I'm like... Yeah, they're the greatest team. You're like, no, they're really not. And slowly but surely, this conversation totally descends into chaos. Anarchy ensues. The church gather around. They're like, fight, fight, fight. <laughs> it's all kicking off. And eventually, we storm off, leave church. We're in a right old mess. We're furious at each other. And in that moment, our friendship totally broken down, albeit over something relatively trivial. But go with me, like. And uh, after that, we stop talking to each other. We avoid each other. We, we, we stop going to home group because we know they're going to be there. I stop following you on Twitter. You even block me on Instagram. It's getting real heated. And, um, and then eventually, one of our mutual friends sends us a text and says, hey, do you want to come for a drink? But neither of us know that the other one's been invited. So we both turn up to the pub, and we're like, oh, no, like they're here. And then basically, our loving friend tells us how ridiculous we're being, and is like, look, both your football teams are fine and very little more than that, so you need to probably move on. <laughs> and uh, through a long conversation, we, we get it all out, we apologize, forgive each other, we laugh about it, we hug it out, and we're friends again. That 
is reconciliation. Okay? That's what it means, just to restore what was broken back to what it once was. Now, for that to happen, for the reconciliation to happen, something had to get in the way, right? Something had to prevent the friendship from being the same. And when we read in our verse, then, that Jesus was to reconcile to himself all things, something pretty significant must have happened for the scale of the reconciliation to be that big, right? That makes sense. It has to be pretty severe, much more so than our little argument. And it, it was severe. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, if you read it right at the start, you can read about how God made creation and then made man and woman, made mankind. And in that moment, they, they were in perfect friendship with one another. God and people, wonderful harmony together. But then there came a moment where Adam and Eve made a choice to turn away from God, to reject him, to disobey him. And in doing so, in what seems like just one simple moment, like just a, a decision, in that little moment, sin was allowed to enter the world and thrust a wedge right between the relationship between God and man, the, the creator himself and that which was created. And that, that little fracture then grew and grew and grew, and the world was full of sin. And uh, it, it's not hard to, to see that. If you look back you know, over mankind, it's not, it's not hard to see that we're broken, that something's not quite right. It's not how we were supposed to be. You can get that sense. And that fracture, that wedge that came between man and humanity, ran all the way up until God decided to do something about it. God decided to send his son, Jesus. Now, the only way to restore a broken relationship, as we've just seen, is you have to, to heal the thing that went wrong in the first place. You have to certainly remove the thing that got in the way, right? and get rid of that so that the, the friendship can be uh, made whole again. Whatever it was that caused the rupture and the rift has to be dealt with. And it has to be done on both sides. It wouldn't have been enough, in our example, for me to feel totally fine with you if you still absolutely hated my guts and you like, I'm never going to talk to him again. I totally reject him. I don't even want to see him. That's not reconciliation. There's no friendship that's been restored there. Maybe I'm just being naive. So it has to be done on both sides, otherwise it doesn't count. Similarly, it had to be done on both sides in our situation here. This had to be dealt with from both parties, as it were. So Jesus had to be what we saw in verse 19 last week. If you read it, it's actually the same sentence. So really putting the verse number in, it's just for a structural thing to help us work our way through. But it flows from one to the next. So when Rick was looking at how in Jesus the fullness of God dwells perfectly, that is absolutely crucial then to our scenario today, that he had to be the fullness of God somehow contained within a man, the perfect embodiment of humanity, and had to have both of those things at the same time in order to deal with the thing that had gotten in the way of the relationship in the first place. And in doing so, on the cross, that moment when, 
when Jesus, he, he took the barrier that had come between us, the sin of the world, and removed it from us onto himself and dealt with it once and for all. And therefore, opened up the way for reconciliation to be possible. In remove, he got that wedge and he pulled it out so that then there was just open space and it was made available. And reconciliation, that friendship, that restoration, that the way that we were always supposed to be was again a possibility for us. Now, I first heard this when I was about 17. I was a young teenager. I, I hadn't been a Christian up to that point, and um, so I wasn't brought up in a Christian home or anything like that. I never really heard much about God or Jesus, and to be honest, didn't really care. Um, and I had been living a life that was ultimately just living for things that were away from God. I had, though I maybe didn't realize it, I had made a choice to reject him and chase after all of these things that were my, for my own selfish ambition. And ultimately had been living a sinful life up to that point. Though that might not have been how I'd worded it at the time, that is the reality of what was going on. Um, and then there came a point where probably when I was about 16 is where it began, when I began to hear about God and Jesus and what life was like knowing him. I had some friends and some family that had begun to get to know him themselves, and they would tell me about it. And to be honest, I was like, sounds pretty good. Like, it sounds nice. Like, I, they seem much more peaceful than I am. They seem way less worried about the future than I am. They seem very secure in themselves. Like, I don't seem to have that. I would like it. And it sounded very appealing. But at the same time, I was still, I think, and even more so at this point, becoming more aware of the fact that, I don't know, like, I was a bad person, I guess was kind of the way that I would have put it. So I still felt that even though I was like, oh, I kind of want it now, it sounds really, really good, I still felt like I couldn't. And then I heard, and this was when I was about 17, then I heard that although up until that point in my life I had been rejecting God and was choosing to follow after all these other things and living a life of sin, even though I'd been doing that for 17 years and rejecting him, God had never rejected me. I was like, what? You for reals? Like, when did this happen? Like, I don't remember this happening recently. And talk about being out of date, because God is there like, mate, I did it like 2,000 years ago. You just got to catch up. <laughs> and I heard this, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I want it, and actually, I can. I can have this. I can have this life. I can have all of this stuff that I've heard about. See, God took the initiative. He had to. Because humanity couldn't do anything about this wedge. We'd put it there and we couldn't get it out. So God had to take the initiative. And, and I heard that God loved me so much that he did. He made the choice to come and do it. He wanted me so much that he was going to go through all of that by sending his son to remove the wedge so that I could be friends with him once again. He sent Jesus to deal with the barrier between us. And it was available for me. When we read our verse, we read that it's available for all things. I was a thing, so I qualified. <laughs> I, I could get it, right? And if you don't know God today, you're a thing. You can get it too. You can have friendship with God. 
It's a real thing. It is. And what did I have to do? (laughs) Not a lot. God had done all of the work. He did all of the hard stuff. All I had to do was essentially make make a choice in my life. Something the Bible calls repent. I'd heard it, I'd believed it, I was like, that sounds great, but I had to choose to turn away from everything I've been living for all the way, all my choices, my sin, and say, okay, I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to turn around from that. I'm going to take Jesus' hand, and I'm going to chase after you for the rest of my days. And I'm going to follow through this. Now what is an open space? I'm just going to go through there and come and be friends with you, God, because it sounds awesome. That's all I had to do. And again, if you don't know God today, if you wouldn't say that he's your friend, it's that simple. Hear it. Believe it. Repent of the way that you have been living, and boom, walk through the door, and you're in friendship with God. And trust me when I say, it is well good. (laughs) The thing is, though, sometimes I don't feel like that. Maybe you're the same. I am friends with God. That is my status, okay? But sometimes, I don't feel like that. And at the very least, sometimes I don't act like it. But why? Why don't I? If I know that that's true, what's happening? Well, if you look at the way human friendship works, you know, if, if something goes wrong, something gets in the way, you know, like what we were describing earlier, you might stop talking to each other. You might avoid each other entirely because you just don't want to see them. You don't want to confront that thing that got in the way. Even if you do talk to them, it's going to be uncomfortable and awkward because either you know there's a thing there or one of you does and the other one doesn't. You're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to confront them and try, have to own up to it. And so the relationship begins to break down and you, it feels horrible. If you've ever been in that scenario, you'll know what I mean. It is unpleasant. And it, it happened to me. Years ago now in my life, I had, I had a friendship that completely broke down. And I won't go into the ins and outs of how or why that happened, but I do want to tell you how it felt. It honestly was one of the most consuming seasons of my life. So much of my thought was taken over by playing the scenario over in my head, what if I see them? What if I go past them in the street? What are they going to say? What am I going to say? What's that going to feel like? What are they going to do? What are people going to think? What's my get-out clause? How do I get away from it? What's my escape plan? And honestly, over and over and over again, I would have dreams about it, about it happening and what would go on. And then I'd wake up and think, oh my goodness, and then I'd calm down again. And and it, it gripped me. And I remember, this is a very vivid memory of mine, to... We were, I was in a car. I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat. We were driving down the road, and I saw a car coming in the direction that just happened to be the same make as this friend. And I saw the car, and in that moment, a sickness into my stomach, this dread of... I mean, I didn't even know what I thought was going to happen. It's not like you can have a conversation car to car, but just, the, just seeing them, the dread that came over me, the, oh, my goodness, my heartbeat began to increase so quickly. And I shrank down in my chair. I was looking at my phone, put my hand up to my face to cover it. It was absolutely horrible. It really was. And it's really easy for that to creep into our relationship with God. Because that's what happens like down here. We we can end up mapping that onto our relationship with God. 
so easily, so quickly, without even realizing it. But I, I want to tell you this morning that you don't need to. It, I behave like that with God because I'm believing lies. Because I'm, I'm believing what the Bible calls the father of lies, the enemy who gets in to my thinking and says, oh, you'd better not go and see God today because of what you did this morning. Best to avoid him, actually. Or, oh, he, he doesn't want to see you, actually. He's really disappointed in the way that you've been behaving recently. Or just this thing you said, he was, he was so angry. That's, never, that's not from God. God's not saying that over me. And I honestly feel like there's people here this morning that need to hear that for themselves. That God is not saying that over you. Okay? That's a lie. God's not saying, don't come to me. God's not saying, I don't want you to come to me. God says, hey, you're my friend. I'm your friend. Come to me. Come and be with me. That's not from God. You don't have to feel like that. That is not what Jesus died for. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He did that to allow you to have unadulterated, uninterrupted, perfect, eternal friendship with God Almighty himself. That's what he died for. And it's been secured by his blood forever. So you never have to believe the lie that he doesn't want to see you or that you shouldn't go and see him or that you shouldn't talk to him or you shouldn't spend time with him. I want to break that this morning. Friendship with God is actually possible, it's real, and it can, it's mine. It can be yours if you don't have it. It is amazing. But I do have a confession to make. At first, I kind of thought the idea of friendship with God was a bit lame. I remember being at an event called Soul Survivor, which some of you might have heard of. It's a Christian event um, where young people go to worship God, to hear bands play and hear teaching from the Bible. And... Um, when I was a young Christian, I went to this event, and there was one year where we started singing this song, Friend of God. I, was like, I am a friend of God. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, that is so weak. I was like, that's the chorus that you went for. I was like, ah, oh, no. And I honestly was like, I'm, so, I'm too cool for this song. I was like, I'm not singing this. I got suckered in, though, because it had a good whoa, and I love a good whoa. So um, they had me, but... Honestly, I was just like, ah, oh, really? Like, there's got to be more powerful things that we can sing about, stronger things that we can say. But when I came to preparing this talk, I got totally convicted of that. Because friendship, friendship is a beautiful thing. And it's so precious, something that you would never take for granted, something you would try and hold on to as much as you can. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a list of characteristics of friendship. And... What I want you to do is just almost map this onto your relationship with God. Okay? It's really good. The characteristics of friendship include, and this is not exhaustive, this is just some stuff that I found and came up with, includes affection, kindness, love, fun, loyalty, sympathy and empathy, unselfishness, honesty between each other, Acceptance, mutual understanding, compassion, enjoyment of one another's company, trust, the ability to be yourself around the other and to express your feelings with each other and to make mistakes without fear of judgment. 
That is what friendship is. You don't necessarily get all of that in family all of the time. Sometimes you do, but you won't necessarily get all of that. But that's what friendship is. God broke and shattered the, the wedge, the thing that came between by sending Jesus. Jesus paid for it with his blood. He got rid of the dividing factor, made the door wide open, so that everything I've just listed became possible for us in our relationship with him. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> that is really, really good news. And, and everything that I've just described is now the case forever. God is my friend. I'm his friend. That's huge. It is absolutely huge. And, and it is going to last. It gets better. It's not as I was friends once. Because human friendships can fade, right? Over time, life just happens. Things get in the way. You move away. And it, you just kind of lose track, right? Again, I was reminded of this very recently for myself. I had a friendship when I first became a Christian with a guy. And, uh, you know, in my earliest years of walking with Jesus, I had this guy at my side. It was a precious friendship that I had. And then over the years, you know, you, you move away and things change and life just happens around you and you can't keep up. And next thing you know, it's just, it's just kind of faded from view. And then I saw recently online that he had gotten married, which is so wonderful. But I was tinged with this huge sense of sadness that, well, I didn't get to celebrate that with him. I didn't get to enjoy that part of his life. I didn't get to, to be there with him, to see the love in his eyes. I, and I was gutted. And that's just what happens with human friendships sometimes. And we can think that about God, but again, God's never going to go anywhere. He, he's never going to grow apart from you. He, he literally is never going to fade. He is the eternal one. He has been since the very beginning. What makes you think now that all of a sudden he's going to fade away after a few months of friendship with you? Literally never going to happen in a million years. He's not going to get too busy. You think like, oh, well, probably this time next year, I don't know how close we'll be because he's got the rest of the universe to look after. I get it, right? Or maybe like, oh, well, he's got some new friends now. Maybe even you introduce them to him. But you're like, well, he probably needs to look after them a bit more. Trust me when I say he's got the capacity, okay? He really, really does. It's going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. Why? Well, because Jesus is forever going to be our mediator between the Father and us. He is forever going to be interceding for us in heaven. He is forever going to bear the scars of the cross and therefore is forever going to be presenting himself to the Father so that we can always have access and always get in. It's a friendship that won't fade or change. And it, even better than that, you don't even have to like text God to see when he's free. Sometimes when I want to hang out with a friend, it takes months to get something in the diary. And it's ridiculous. I don't have to like, send a little memo to God and be like, I'm free in November, let's hang out. I just go right in whenever I please. And he's like, hey, you're here. Let's hang out. That's friendship with God. It's never going to change. It's never going to end. And it is never going to be broken ever again because of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Rick, why don't you in the band come up? See, we've been, 
We've been spending two months looking at Jesus together. I've enjoyed it so much. I hope you have too. Looking at who he is, what he's done for us, what he's achieved. And when I, when I you know, preparing this, my favorite thing looking back at these verses was just how you can see this beautiful scaling down, this zooming in across just these five verses. See, it starts with God, the one who was before all things and who will forever be. Then it zooms in again onto creation. And everything that, that Jesus did in that, how he sustains it and holds it all together. Then it zooms in once more onto people, God's people, the church. Then it, it zooms in again onto Jesus, the man who somehow, some way embodies the fullness of God. But then right at the end, it zooms in again. And then it's just you and him. And it's just God saying, let's be friends. Let's hang out. Let's enjoy one another's company. Let's learn together. You can be his friend. You are his friend. From the heights of creation all the way down to just you. Wow. See, there's nothing we read these verses, nothing in the whole universe that is outside of the rule and reign of Jesus. And as N.T. Wright, one of the commentators, puts it, there is no sphere of existence over which Jesus is not sovereign. And God, mankind, and the world are each now to be understood in relation to Jesus Christ. Because he is the image of the invisible God, the one that we look to to understand who God is. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things in whom everything is glued together somehow, some way. He is the head of the body, the church. He is our leader, our champion, the one who we will follow. He's the firstborn from the dead, the risen one, the champion of heaven who has overcome death itself. He's the fullness of God containing everything that he is in the body of a man. And he is the reconciler for you and me. He's the one that makes all of it possible. He's the one who holds it all together. He is the, the centerpiece of all things. And that's why he is, I think, worthy of the utmost praise and everything that we can give him for every waking moment of our lives until he comes back. Amen? Amen. We're going to worship him.